right, welcome to another episode of Out from the Cube. It's Friday morning. Uh, I, our guest today is a gentleman that's up in Iowa that does some agile coaching. We're going to get to here in a second, named Jeremiah Hopkins. And I told him, you know, offline that the podcast continues to grow and uh, lining up guests has actually been much easier than it was uh, a year ago when we started the podcast. And so we are kind of backlogged, even though it's a, a Monday. It's, uh, this will actually be released on a Friday, so you're listening to this on Friday, or we released it on Friday. But um, I appreciate Jeremiah uh, taking some time with us. I mean, before we get going, Jeremiah, and, and Jeremiah will give his background and how we kind of connected. Uh, again, as with all our guests, um, our, our connections really are on LinkedIn and just getting connected on LinkedIn and, and uh, kind of using that as a platform, which, which is Great, great. I just love, I love the platform of LinkedIn, the people, the guests we've had, the podcast and being able to have some incredible conversations has been made my year incredible. But let me say this, um, as we, as, as I get a little bit better, hopefully I'm getting better at this podcast thing. As we get a little bit better with it and we start researching guests and I start getting excited about the caliber of guests that we're having or receiving feedback from and re receiving responses from, I am doing some prep to this. And so as I prepped for Jeremiah and we talked a little, we actually initially uh, talked on LinkedIn and we talked on the telephone and uh, had, I felt a great conversation on the phone um, that we should have recorded. <laughs> um, but actually, as I was sitting back trying to find some things online of, of, of from you or about you, um, I, found, I found myself on YouTube listening to a big band blues singer uh, named Jeremiah Hopkins that had no shortage of contact content that I felt might look like you a little bit judging from your LinkedIn profile. So I started watching these great videos of this gentleman singing named Jeremiah Hopkins and he was amazing. <laughs> and, I, and so I was like, man, this guy can sing, you know, and he's an agile coach. And I watched a couple of videos and, I, and it was like Michael Buble kind of singing. And I was like, man, this guy's talented. And then as I kind of compared pictures and read and went to your website, I was like, eh, that is not this guy, I don't think. So um, you're not you're not you're not the big band musician, right? That's out there on YouTube. Uh, I am not. I did <laughs> I did karaoke with some friends last Friday. Uh, okay. But no, I just it. discovered that guy recently too, actually. And uh, yeah, and I considered like maybe he wants to buy because I I own the JeremHopkins.com domain, and yeah. he had to do. Like, Air Hopkins or something. So yeah, right. Maybe he wants to buy it. Uh, we'll see. Right, right. Uh, he could sing. I'll give him that. I'll give him that. He yeah. could sing. Because I was watching this video going, man, this is going to either be really, really good or awful. And it was really good. <laughs> I was like, good for that guy. Yeah. But, but that way, hey, welcome. I know, I know you're busy and um, you have a lot going on. And I appreciate, I guess, the connection on LinkedIn. I appreciate you re uh, responding to me because I'm sure it was that way that, that I reached out to you. And, um, and I appreciate you wanting to have a phone call set up and see, see what the podcast was all about and, and what it entails. So um, with that, man, welcome to the show. And again, appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, I thought, well, interesting opportunity. Guy yeah. reaches out to you and says, I got a pass. Do you want to come talk? And yeah. Yeah, yeah perfect. <laughs> perfect. So let's just jump into it because we are time box a little bit and it's going to be a sh one of our shorter podcasts. What I have done with some of these shorter podcasts is done two parts and brought, some, and brought people back in. Um, but what, what, you're up in Iowa and the connection to us is this, is that we are both agile coaches and you're, you're also a, uh, a speaker. You're out on kind of the speaking circuit as well with agile. And I guess my, my first question is, um, 
you know, I guess, what do you, what do you do? Agile coaching may mean uh, different things to different people and what kind of industries are you in, in terms of, I know it's all software related, but what, what kind of uh, places do you work and specialize in and what kind of products are being built? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, uh, coaching for me right now entails a few things, do some classroom training with teams as we bring them into scrum. Uh, but we also train on Kanban and we'll do some light visualization training too. If, depends how far in people want to go. Right. But mm -hmm. we're currently working to transform large, uh, infrastructure, it operations organization. And, uh, previously I've worked with development teams a lot in the data space. So mm -hmm. have kind of an angle on the idea of agile analytics and how to not get your data warehouses so bogged down into long delivery patterns. Right. Um, but coaching beyond the training aspect is, is that coaching. You're, you're sitting with teams while they're going through their, their day-to-day routines, their ceremonies. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching a lot, scrum masters, product owners, um, ad managers. So, mm -hmm. you know, as we convert people to summer agile methodologies, managers, well, they're not the prioritizer anymore, like the product owner is, and they're not helping facilitate the tactical day-to-day -day like the scrum master is. So, they need some coaching to help find, you know, what am I now? Yeah. Uh, and I went through previously as a manager, so I can kind of help them with that piece. Um, and I guess the last part is we just get asked to come in and facilitate sometimes. Hey, we want to do a team build thing or we're trying to do a process improvement exercise. You come in and help guide us through that. Mm. Uh, I tell everybody, I offer perspective. That's what I do. I, mm. I come in from the outside and I try to help people see things that they may not see when they're, you know, in the scene. Yeah. So, so what's your, what, what is your background then? Did you grow up in the software industry? Do you have a CS degree? Did you write code? Like, like, how did you, how did you end up in the position you're at? Uh, your yeah. Career? Well, uh, kind of the same way that I want this podcast, which was, I just stayed open to opportunities, yeah. but I, yeah, my, my original background, like way back college wise, I was, a theater turned film major, uh, but I studied a lot of communication, communications media. So I learned about like, how do people interact? How do people talk? And particularly we convey that through media. I got out of college though, and I went, I didn't learn enough about business or finance, right? So I started doing my own self-study after college and uh, eventually stumbled into financial services, worked with annuities for a while, then worked um, in, in the life insurance side and w just wound up in positions that were doing things like analytics, data. And the only thing I can figure the, the, the translation from how do you go from film to data was I knew how to use things in information to tell stories. And I knew how to mm, present things in pictures so that people could understand them more easily. So I just got good at taking complex information and filling it down and presenting it to people so that they could make decisions off of it. Hmm. That led me into reporting, business intelligence, warehousing. So now I'm in the software development space or the at least the application development space, database space. I'm in IT now. And how I got there, I didn't know, but it seemed to be working. People, people appreciated me there. I, again, was able to translate. So as a business analyst, I could understand what you wanted, tell people about it 
became a product owner and a manager, was able to do the same things, understand what people really wanted, and then help teams understand how to deliver it. And uh, all over the last maybe 10 years, I was managing development teams and had learned about Agile through a buddy and had always kind of brought it into my teams, at least trying to embed some of the practices and the mindsets. And over time, developed some expertise, got certified as a scrum master a few years back, and then um, more recently was able to actually get get the job officially as agile coach and be able to tell people that that's what I did. So yeah, um, so I yeah. Mean, I, so I, it's I, it's just been a dream. <laughs> yeah, no, I I appreciate that. So when you get into it, and um, I, so I guess I'm wondering, you you made the comment that a friend of yours got you into agile. Um, mm-hmm. How, why did you gravitate that way? So I guess what I'm thinking is, you know, for people that are listening that are software developers, there's really kind of two phrases that people use for software development. Like it's going to be this big waterfall up front and you're going to do, you know, the requirement gathering and design and implementation and deployment. Like you're going to do all these kind of surgical steps one, one after the other. Yeah. Um, and then there's this whole agile thing where it's more, uh, you know, uh, kind of chunked up and you get feedback and you do all this. Um, did you, were you a part of like this waterfall environment and said, ah, this doesn't work. This could be better. What else is out there? How can we pivot off of some of this or uh, fine tune this process? Or did you kind of just roll into it and you started learning agile from the get go? No, no I was subjected to the, the old way. Right. Okay. Um, I can remember when I first kind of came into the corporate world in my twenties and was a real culture shock because I had always worked in smaller businesses, uh, had done a lot of wables for a long time, you know, pre-college, through college, after college, Um, knew a lot of small businesses in town, but this big corporate thing where everybody tried to structure and control everything that happened as if they had it all figured out, total shock to me. Um, I knew a lot of change growing up and I just, out of change is the norm. So when I saw people tr- trying to plan out the next like 10 to 12 months of their life and everything they were going to do down to the hour and then mm. beating each other over the head with a stick when like, well, we're, you know, this far behind the schedule, it just, it rubbed me the wrong way. And so when uh, my friend says, hey, read this book and then tell me what you think and then tell me if we can start doing some of that here. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. And I read it and I went, yeah, duh, this, this is kind of how I think about things. Uh, this is how I think people naturally work, which is small teams of people that just get in and are empowered to figure it out. You know, I mean, if you go back in time, it's how humans organized. If you look at today, uh, you know, we don't have really large teams that are playing sports, for instance, or uh, we, we cap them at a certain size. Now, there may be extended players, but you're not going to put them all out on the field at the same time, and there's reasons for that. So smaller people that are working on hopefully a focused set of problems, mm-hmm. and then they kind of figure it out together in pieces. And then, like you said, they get feedback, and then they do some more, and they get back. They know what they want to have happen 12 months down the road. They just don't try to plan it all out up front because yeah. they know things change. And that's, that's the important thing. The other thing that was really, like, that really, for my mind, was Agile cares about delivery of value. How do we deliver value? What should we work on now that will be the most value to the customer? I watched teams and organizations 
chase things like service levels, you know, or just goals they had eight months ago that didn't make sense now, but they, they were still going to pursue them because, you know, gosh darn it, we started them. Mm-hmm. And it didn't make sense to keep working on things that weren't valuable. It didn't make sense to beat yourselves over the head about it service level made up in the first place Mm. it just didn't make sense to me but agile and the idea that we would try to focus on most valuable things for the time right now and if any point we found they weren't valuable anymore we could stop doing them that sounds a lot better because that's how i always want to live my life anyway right 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 do the stuff that's important that matters and that brings you closer to what you want and Mm -hmm try to not do anything else (laughs) on a very high level i guess as as we get going because i've actually said this to people so my background is in coaching uh, athletic coaching and that's uh, how i wound up getting involved in software was when i got out of athletic coaching got into software and learned to write code you know it just kind of matched like hey you know there's there's some coaching that needs to go on here even with software and business and executive level teams um that 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 you know, it's always about messing around with the dials and, and what you kind of said. But so people do listen to our podcasts that are actually not in the software space that may not know what Agile is. So I'm interested in, in and you hear many different de- uh, definitions and thoughts and, uh, and ideas about what Agile actually is. Because I have said this to friends of mine. Half of my friends are jocks and half of my friends are geeks. That's just the way it is, right? My, my half of my friends that are jocks, I've told them, if I, could, if I were to ever go back and become a college basketball coach again, I won't. I won't ever do that. But if I did, I would run my team and program in an agile software development way. I really would. Um, mm-hmm. I would. I would lay things out. I would have sprints and boards and tasks and different things that we have to do. We would meet every day on certain things. We would get feedback from the, from the secretary to the janitor to the team to the SID, like all this sort of stuff. I just would. That's how I would run things. And, um, and so because we do get those people that listen to the podcast, I'm I'm interested in your definition of what agile is and how that works and, and um, the idea of agile in your mind. Sure. Agile to me is a mindset and a philosophy. And I think that is partially what's hard for individuals and organizations to embrace it all the way because they're used to like, Hey, I want to just pay for a process or a tool, something that we come in, we drop in, we integrate it into our business and then we go about our business it doesn't work that because so we're actually trying to change people's ways of thinking. Yeah. Maybe that's what's appealing to me because I'm a, you know, armchair psychologist and I'm very interested in what makes people tick and why, why do we do what we do? How do we motivate ourselves? All that. Uh, but agile as a mindset and a philosophy, you know, I will, I'll stick to the, the agile manifesto and what, what the guys put down in terms of the values. Mm-hmm. That's what struck me at first, especially the idea of individuals and interactions over processes and tools so i saw this all the time i saw emails i saw we're going to build a better system that does xyz but all this is happening without people actually talking to each other and i mean can you imagine you know you coach basketball right could what happens if the players don't communicate to each other in real time in live time they got to be looking they got to be watching signaling same thing with humans in the workplace like i saw so much of people not doing that and it's something they need more of and the other idea of of 
and like I was saying before, instead of following, just I got to follow this plan that I laid out, responding to change, responding to change, because stuff does change. And in fact, it seems to be changing more and more all the time. So how do we stay nimble enough, agile enough to respond to whatever happens? So at that mindset level, that's how I think about it. Now, how do you take it into organizations? Well, one, give them a dose of the mindset and you help them to embrace those values. But then you also have to show them practices because we have to practice to get better. So then whether I'm showing you scrum methodology, which is just it's a way of organizing your work and planning your work and working through your work, or Kanban, which is another system. Um, these are processes that I can bring in to help you practice. Mm -hmm. But they got to get you committed a bit to shifting your mindset. Um, it's a pretty good video. If you go, uh, you can look this up. We use this a lot in our trainings. Um, I think it's from Smarter Every Day is the guy's uh, podcast website, okay. YouTube channel. And uh, he does a lot of different cool things. But he has one where um, they build a backwards bicycle. Maybe you've seen this. So his buddy's an engineer. He yes, builds I him have. a bicycle. And the only difference is when you go left, the wheel goes right. So it's goofy, you know, or like a like a pilot's joystick maybe where the directions are opposite. Right. And so he does this whole segment about how you can't just hop on it. You think you can. You just go, oh, yeah, I go left and right. Your brain can't do it because of all the other things that it knows about riding a bike. And so he goes on to practice it five minutes a day for like eight months, and then he can finally ride it. But then he can't ride a regular bike right. <laughs> until it, it takes a little while to snap back into it, right? So the whole point of it, though, is that, like, we do have this neuroplasticity. We can change the way we think about stuff. But it takes a lot of time, especially when we've got these really old patterns engraved. So if you're a software developer or designer or an analyst, somebody who's been working in these old methods for years and years and years, and we just show up and say, hey, work different, mm. you will resist. Whether you intentionally mean to or whether you're good heartedly or trying to face it your brain knows how to think a different way and so it's going to take some time for you to retrain your brain to ride that backwards bicycle yeah that, that that's a great uh and i'll try to find the link to that i think it might be easy to find and if you happen to have it you could send it off to me but, yeah, but that that i've seen that before i've seen that a number of times actually and it is it's comical in a, in a way when you watch it because you do you sit there as somebody watching it and you are sitting there going, man, I could do that. Like, I, I could do that. And yeah. I think he actually at one point on a stage says, if you could go 10 yards on this bicycle. So people listening, imagine riding a bicycle 10 to 15 yards. You would say, oh, I could do that. No question. And I think he bets a certain amount of money that seems substantial. It's not tens of thousands of dollars it's probably that's not like 200 bad. bucks or something 200 dollars yeah. he's like 200 bucks you get from there to here. For him. Like, right yeah and nobody can do it right and yeah. the because again to the point when you turn the bicycle left it's going right and it just it throws you off and but you sit there and watch it and go man i can do that but i and i forgot the analogy or the metaphor or the comparison to how hard it is to shift your mind that yeah. you just get so locked in on a way of thinking or the way things ought to be or, or your perspective on things that when it gets changed, how hard that is. And so I want to pivot to a question I got this week from a, from a client or somebody actually from that listened to our podcast that had the, the comment of, they asked me, they know my background in coaching basketball and they know my background in coaching software and business teams. And the, 
I'm not going to get the question exactly right, but I'm interested in your perspective. At what point do you quit coaching a team member? So to this point, the person that is used to riding a regular bicycle Mm -hmm. and you gave them a different bicycle and now they're just irritated and pissed off because it's not the way they want it to work. And now they're disrupting the team the capat the 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 you know the deliverables what they're the story points whatever it is right they are their velocity is the word I'm looking for everything's jacked up because of this one person and they're not buying in I'm interested because I actually had a different perspective on this I had a I had a perspective uh, that I told this person and then I asked some other people actually in our podcast but this person happened to be in the athletic development space and they had a perspective that was different than mine that shifted me back around. Um, hmm. So I'm interested in you because, which means I went both ways, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So I'm interested in your perspective. Is there a time where you quit coaching somebody that you just say, Hey, you got to find another team, another company, another product, another program. Cause this isn't working. Yeah, I think there is. Um, but I think it's, it's probably a lot farther down the road than a lot of people, you know, and a lot of people just know, hey, look, get on board, right? And if, right, and uh, you need a little time, and then, oh, you're still not on board. Well, obviously, it's your own fault, you know? Yeah. And so I do a little work, and I'm doing more now with just organizational change management. And mm-hmm. I've been working with a gal who's real smart in it. And uh, what you learn in that is that all change affects people like our brains are kind of wired to reject change you know because way back in the day when we were running from tigers and you know warring tribesmen or whatever we had to be constantly scanning environment for things that were different and anything that seemed out of place right just like a deer out in the woods okay what's going on right we and we fight fright free brain gets triggered and we go hey what's going on so change in the modern world, change in the workplace works the same way. And it hits us and we go, oh, I don't like this. Uh, now, some of us better at adapting to change. So we do get on board quicker. But other people, it, it takes them more time. I would say for the people who are most resistant, you actually have to spend a little more time with them uh, to try to get behind there. What's the real blocker? What is it that is making it harder for them to get comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. There are some phases that people go through as they do that. And just like two people grieve the same when they lose something, whether it's a job or a loved one or just crash their car, like we all handle it different. People at work handle it different too. Mm. I don't have an exact prescribed amount of time for you, but I will no, tell no, right, you right. that that gets exhausting if it goes on for months and months and months and months. Um, one thing I see in organizations today is that they introduce change after change after change after change. And so then there's change fatigue that happens. People didn't have enough change, enough time to adapt to the first change before you hit them with another change. Mm-hmm. So now they're actually going through this process like three layers deep, you know? So you have to be conscious of that. You got to spend a little time with them. But I think, yeah, with, within whatever your, I suppose, patience level is, add a little bit to that i'm not i'm thinking you know i'm saying that i don't have a time i'm thinking six six months maybe depending mm-hmm. on how big the change was you know did i totally change your job for instance did i 
You know, did I just change your manager? What was the thing? In Agile transformation, um, because we stay close to the teams for, you know, six to nine months before we really see them hit a maturity that we can start to back off, that to me says I got to give the teams that much time. Mm. But I would ask you, too, are they being actively disengaged, like you're saying, where if they're like showing up to the team meetings every day, they're talking crap, you know, right, they're right. saying stuff about it to really detract from it, then I would shorten that window up big time. We've had a few conversations and you're still going, I would move for to do something sooner than later because you can't have them poisoning well for too right. long um, when you're trying to get other people you know, shifted and moving in one direction. Yeah. No, I think that's, that, that's kind of the point uh, that I was making on both, both ends, you know, and my coaching friend uh, from the athletic standpoint was, you know, you, you just can never quit coaching uh, somebody, but it's to, but it's to your point that I think you're saying, um, you know, if they're, if they're disruptive mm -hmm. and you know, our velocity or, um, the, the games that we're winning or the, the team dynamics or the culture is threatened Boy, that window's got, that window got a lot shorter, you know, mm -hmm. in my perspective, right. Because um, there's, you know, the phrase that we use in coaching is, you know, it's an old Michigan football saying, you know, the team, the team, the team, there's nothing more important than the team. You know, this was yeah. said by a legendary coach at the university of Michigan, Bo Schembechler, there's nothing more important than the team. And that was, if that's kind of a value or principle you hold to, and if it is being disrupted, um, you know, that leash has to be a lot shorter. Um, yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, have you been in those environments? The, I mean, these toxic, toxic professional environments where it's, you know, the 55 year old guy that's been doing, you know, the same thing for so long and knows his job better than you. And you roll in as a 30 year old saying, you know, um, you know, we're going to be doing this in an agile way. And I was brought in to do it like this. Let me, I, I guess my question is this, you said something about, you know, the waves of change and making changes small. When you do these big agile transformations, is, 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 what, what, what is kind of the prescription on that? Is it like, hey, we are making, this is what Agile looks like. This is, and you have like a three, two-day workshop or an analysis, and this is what it looks like, and this is what we're going to do. Or is it like, you know what, we're just going to start meeting once a day for 15 minutes, or we're going to do this backlog, or this is how we're going to start with sprints. Or is it very surgical, or is it like you paint the whole, in, in teaching and coaching? My sure. background is this. It's like, yeah. I'm going to show you the whole, and then I'm going to teach the parts. And when we yep. teach these parts, we're going to end up at the whole, but th I want to show you up front what it looks like. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering with the agile transformations you've done, is it good to show the whole or is it good to just start showing the chunks and get to the whole, if that makes sense? Yeah, I, I prefer to show the whole and then go through the parts. I've done it the other way. When I started, that's because I didn't have any sponsorship. I didn't have any back. You know, it's just me as a manager going, I believe in this. I'm going to teach it to my team. But I knew if I went in guns blazing, here's the whole big thing. People right. would ask lots of questions like, wait, is this a thing that we're doing now? Is this, where's this coming from? Was this approved by so, you know. I don't want any of that. So I started right. sneaking stuff in. Hey, we're just going to start meeting three times a week for 15 minutes in the morning. And when we get there, I'll show you what we're going to do in there. Or, hey, we started using this board that 
this is our work. Instead of looking at the list, we're going to start using it and moving stuff across. You know, little things that we'd sneak in. Not effective for turning one team. But if you're trying to transform an organization, a, a collection of teams, right. then I say you got to you have some buy-in that you're doing that, and then you got to go in as a whole. And that's we typically take one team at a time and put them through the training, which is about a, a week of classroom days. But then after that, they go through the practice and the coach is with them. And we start small. So if they're doing scrum format, they time box their delivery period, right? We'll start them off on a co-sprint, two-day sprint, right? Just two days, plan the work, do the work, reflect on the work. Now let's do a three-day one. Okay, now let's do a one week. Now let's do another week. Now let's do a two week and now you're probably gonna stay at two weeks. So now here we go. We take them through it and we practice the pieces in the workshop in the classroom, but then we go out on the real world and we start practicing it and we grow it. I think that that's more effective than sneaking it in because when you bring it in bits and pieces, you don't have the, the total in from everybody. The people that like it will like it, the people that don't. If you come in and present it big picture and then teach the pieces, one of the things that you should be doing is saying, hey, so do you want to do this, right? Like, I'm showing this to you. Are you willing to try it? Are you willing to go on this agile journey? And everybody will usually say, sure, I'm willing to try. I, I like to ask it like that. Will you try? I look at agile, it's just one big experiment, right? Like, right. that's how we do life, too. Like, we just figure stuff out, and when it doesn't work, we do something else. And if we find what works, we try to do it again. So I ask people, you try it, mm -hmm. you know? Are you, are you okay? You don't run into a lot of people that up front will tell you like, no, not going to try it at all. Just going to stay this way. Um, we do have a few that will ask later, like, wait, you mean I had a choice? You know, like I could have said no. <laughs> it's like, well, too late now. We have to drink. Right. But what you said think, earlier in show the them where you're going and then take them through. Yeah. You said something earlier in the introduction um, on, on some of the things you do, but, but you slid in there one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, mm -hmm. Your one-on-one -on -one coaching that you do, is that like agile-related coaching? Is that team-related? Is that we, – we, we did some agile consulting for a team out west, and I remember I was out there for about three days, and at one point um, a couple people individually said, hey, can I visit with you, and mm -hmm. can we go talk? And so we went into a room or we went for a walk, and we just talked. Like, and it was very – it seemed very much like we were in therapy, right, which I think a lot of a lot of – it, not a lot. I'm not going to use the word a lot. It seems like you're in some of that some of the times. I don't, I don't know how else better to phrase it than that. Um, yeah. When you say one-on-one -on -one coaching, like, I, does that mean, is that what that means to you? Or do you do some other one-on-one -on -one coaching, like off hours where you're doing like some other type of coaching? Is that what you meant? Uh, so yeah, that, when I said it earlier, that's what I meant, you know, right. so I'm, uh, usually I'm working with a scrum man or product owner or a manager and we're focused primarily on the role. Um, sorry, my internet was doing something. No, yeah, it's it's a little choppy, but that's fine. Yeah, it's a little choppy. Okay. Um, so we're mostly focused on the role. You know, how's it? How is the role for you? What's challenging? What's rewarding? What can I do to help you? Um, I do have some people though that are just colleagues that we started, hey, could I 
can we do like a mentor session? You know, I'll take you to lunch. Let's I ask you about this. That's often around like career. So I've done, actually I've done quite a bit of that. Uh, mostly with colleagues and close friends of like, Hey, how do I right. change my career? Or how do I get a new job? Or so I've done a bit of that. Um, I don't, don't know if I want to drift too far into the life coaching uh, right, right, end right. of the pool. <laughs> I don't know that I've always got my life that figured yeah. out to be helping people, <laughs> to right? To be advising but, other people but, on their life, right? Yeah, yeah, right. But on the other hand, uh, you know, I do think coaches offer perspective. I was watching one right. of your podcasts, and uh, I think maybe Jay, who was saying everybody needs a coach, right? And this, yep. this, and I. I thought that's true. Everybody needs it. I have a colleague right now that I work with. I'd met him years ago because he was a trainer in a Six Sigma class that I was in and we started talking and then ran into him a few years ago and he's like, Hey, you look, no offense. You don't look so great. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm just having a bad day. And it's like, well, Hey, tell me about it. I've been doing some coaching. So, okay. So we started talking. He took me through a kind of a life roadmap exercise and then he said all right now you do it for me and then i took him through the same exercise and we just sort of traded coaching mm. over the course here and that was a good experience um so i do think we can always offer perspective to others humans and so you don't have to have your whole life figured out to be a coach but uh yeah, life yeah. coaching would be a whole bunch of things that i would do for a buddy but you know just for right. anybody i don't yeah. Right. The coach I, business. Yeah. Somehow, you know, like, of, yeah. Yeah, somehow because of the podcast and because of what we're doing on Instagram, I see, I see different things on, on Instagram or whatever. And it's funny. I've seen these, what seem to be college age students that are somewhere between 20 and 23, maybe that are life, that are life coaches. And I've always kind of <laughs> snickered about that. I'm like, I'm not sure those are the right people to, to be given a whole bunch of life coaching advice to people. But, but anyway, but I, but uh, you've said some things that, that I guess maybe I've heard before, or at least I've thought of before, but never, maybe I haven't heard. And it's really simple. And this isn't, earth shattering or anything like that, but I, but I'm going to get this written down, but a coach really offers the perspective. Yeah. And, and again, I know that's very elementary and all that, but, but it, it is, if you're, if you're coaching at Duke, if you're coaching an agile team at Anheuser-Busch, right, it's really sitting down saying, Hey, and nobody would really say this as a coach, but you would say, I'm an expert at basketball. So my, my perspective, you know, my perspective matters, right? What I see, observe, and um, it, it carries some weight or some validity, right? And if you're building software at Anheuser-Busch or somebody else and you're an agile coach and you've got these different roles of product owner and developer and scrum master or BA or whatever it might be, right? I have a perspective on how this team should run and function and how you're delivering software. And the reality is you should listen. You, you should listen to my perspective, mm -hmm. right? And it's not to say that the coach is always right, right? Uh, made many mistakes as a basketball coach, many mistakes, right? But somebody, uh, Jay, coach, uh, Jay and I, Coach Jay, that we do Wednesdays with, uh, we were talking about last week about this, the best heart surgeon in the world. And he has this great video on YouTube about how everybody needs a coach. And I don't know if that's what you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. But his thing was, hey, I'm gonna, I, I brought somebody in to offer me a perspective. 
on how to like my elbow was at the wrong angle or I grabbed the wrong tool or I grabbed it too soon or I didn't acknowledge this for whatever it is. Right. And he had like pages of notes on things to consider. And it was really good. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's a TEDx talk, but I really, I really appreciate, um, I guess the use of the word perspective, because I've never really said it that way before. And mm. I think that carries, you know, and I know it's an easy, easy word and phrase, but, but I've never really thought about it that way, that the, the, the perspective of the coach. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's fundamental to what we teach in terms of collaboration. Like one of the things that we want from, a, from an agile team is for them to collaborate on the work, figure the work out together because they will each bring a diverse point of view to the situation. So th one person might see something that somebody else doesn't see. And as long as they feel uh, you know, comfortable and respected and able to open up and say what they gotta say, mm -hmm. they'll be able to point that thing out and the other people wouldn't have seen it. Um, too often, especially in the tech world, uh, this is probably true everywhere, we get caught up in like, the team expert, you know, you know I've doing it for 30 years. He built the system when he was 13. He's going to, you know, maintain it until he dies. And actually I think he's digitalized his consciousness. He's going to be the machine when he dies, you know, whatever, like you got that guy who you always go to. Well, yeah, he's good based on his experience and he's probably the right guy to troubleshoot that system in a lot of situations. He may not be the guy that's going to help you build the new system, though, because he may be thinking too rigidly about what he's done or what his, and no offense to Bob, but, you know, <laughs> he may be thinking too rigidly about what he's done and right. not able to think about how he would do it differently. But you mm -hmm. bring in some new team members who would see it and they'd say, oh, here's what I offer. And so that's what I mean by perspective is that we all come from a unique set of experiences mm -hmm. and... Uh, we have our own ideas and, and the things that stick. And so everybody's got something to contribute. Now you also need to facilitate that because sometimes what people contribute isn't their best work or is applicable to the situation. And that's okay. You got to have some, right. some methods to facilitate that and say, yeah, good idea, but not now, or mm, let's move on. But for the most part, perspective is just being able to see it from another point of view from another set of circumstances, another set of experiences, you know? Right, to get better, and, right? It's all about, it's yeah. all about that. To and get I think better, exactly. It's all about that. And I know it's all kind of uh, easy stuff, you know, as Jay says on our Wednesday episodes, easy but difficult or easy but hard. You know, it sounds easy, right? <laughs> how, how much of, yeah. of if, 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 this is how I work. I'm not going to tell you exactly how my mind works because I want to give you, I want to make sure I get a real uh, non-influenced uh, answer from you. Uh, how, how much do you think you spend your time on tactical, you know, tooling type things for agile and how much do you spend kind of on people, collaboration, communication, you know, team dynamics. Um, Cause I kind of see agile in the two parts. Um, and that's mm -hmm. why I feel that to your point earlier and this, I really loved your point and I've heard it this way before, but you uh, said it perfectly when we started um, when I was talking about, I could, I would run agile as a basketball coach. So mm -hmm. it's, it's more of a set of beliefs, principles, practices, instead of this is how you build software. Right. Right. I, I don't believe that. So, but I do see this, this, this tactical and, and uh, tactical side of tooling and things of that nature and people. 
mm-hmm. and, and team dynamics. What's your experience with like both of those in terms of time spent, I guess, or, or what's not necessarily what's more important. Cause I believe both of them to be important, but um, what's, what's your experience with both those? Yeah. I mean, practically where do I end up spending my time? It's probably 50, 50 or something, right. you know, right. I mean, it's a, where I target it to be is more like 80, 20 though. And that 80% on the people side of it, because again, number one value, individuals and interactions, right. Over processes and tools. You do have to spend on tools and we do teach the practices as a process, but we try to keep it simple. Mm -hmm. Try to you to practice it as easily as you can so that you don't have to think about that stuff because the harder stuff, people stuff, it's the creativity of the work. It's the collaboration of the work. It's the communication. That's huge. Mm. And yeah, so that's, I I tell people, I'm like 10 years of working in technology. You know what I learned? It's all people problems. Yes. You'll be able to figure out the tool and you'll be able to come up with a process, but the people the people are the complicated, they're the complex. Um, and rightfully so, because they, they, they are what they are. Yeah. Sorry, we'll do what you tell it as long as you figure out how to tell it to, to do it the right. People don't work that way. You can figure out the exact right way to tell it to do it, and they still won't do it. And you'll wonder, why didn't they do it? Right. And so that ability to individually motivate people as well as collectively motivate them them and particularly towards collaborating and valuing like you said the team above all else that's really hard um, because many of us have been motivated for a long time individualistically and it's hard to set aside that ego long enough to say yeah but what's right for the team I struggle with it all the time and (laughs) I'm sure we all do yeah Okay, well, what I'm thinking about now is really, I mean, your background in Agile and what I find myself thinking more with the clients, not more, I would say what I find myself thinking in conjunction with Agile with the clients that we work with are kind of these lean principles. And I've been on a lean kick, you know, for maybe the past six or so months where I do find myself researching and studying more kind of lean lean principles, you know, lean manufacturing, but how that kind of leverages from, you know, building cars mm-hmm. and, uh, to building software. Um, and I, I do find myself more fascinated, not more fascinated with lean over agile, but just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on a lean vendor, I guess, is where I'm trying to consume as much content as I can with lean. How does lean, lean and lean manufacturing play into, I guess, your mindset when it comes to building agile teams and agile um, practices and, and with the clients that you work with? Sure. So we build a lot of lean into agile. I mean, it, it really, it's, it's agile kind of came from lean. You know? um, I think a lot of the guys that were first getting together and having these conversations to, to think about different ways of approaching work, probably knew people or had backgrounds themselves in lean you look at when lean came about like mid 20th century right Mm -hmm. so then agile starts up in the 90s so you get a a few decades of lean growing and then agile kind of coming in i i think the two can go together just fine because they're really teaching the same kind of models right Mm -hmm. um the one thing that i would call out that's different to me and i think uh, one of the things that Agile 
puts a lot of weight on is that often lean when we look at it, um, even though it teaches things like management by walking around and and you know team teams working on how to improve process. Uh, often it's profit focused itself, right? Lean is comes from manufacturing, and so it's very much focused on the process. Software development, design, marketing, creative endeavors of any kind don't work linearly as manufacturing does. And so you need the collaboration pieces that Ad is really shooting for in addition to the efficiency pieces mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, that Lean is shooting for. And so I think the two can walk hand in hand through an organization. It kind of depends what is the client, what's the, what's the real problem? A lot of times um, it's an easy place to start to lean out a process because mm-hmm. we build so much waste into everything, you know? Right. Is, but, that, is that it? Let me ask this then. Um, what, what does lean mean to you? When we say lean manufacturing or implementing lean into software teams, what does that mean to you? Well, for me, lean, we want to reduce waste, right? We want to, we want to identify how to get throughput. We teach agile teams Kanban. Uh, some of our teams are not scrum, they're Kanban. We just teach them about flow, about how how to manage a board, visualization. Um, those are all lean ideas. And so when I say remove waste, you know, we build waste in. It's anything that doesn't really need to be there. Right. You teach Agile to a team, and especially from a product owner perspective. The product owner is responsible for delivering value, right? Uh, how much can we get out of this product, this feature? Well, you have to have a good eye for waste so that you know, let's not do those things. Let's do these yeah. things because these are core. These are, they're the important parts, right? Lean delivers value. Agile delivers value. And so I think, yeah, I think the two go together. How you approach it, I think, yeah. is, is what depends. I've been in organizations that don't want to hear because, we, well, we tried lean. You know, look where we're at. It didn't work for us. Well, I told people a lot that – just because it didn't work for you doesn't mean it doesn't work, you know? Right. And, right. and that's kind of a, a little bit of a punch that, right. but it's true. Just because you tried something and it didn't work doesn't mean that it doesn't have merit. It doesn't mean that it can't work. It means that you need to tweak the experiment and try again. Yes. And I'm going to throw this in there. I'm looking this up as you talk online, uh, just, uh, to make sure I get the name of the, t- the book correctly. For those that are listening that have an interest in lean and uh, what that can do for a company or just at the mindset and the shift and what that could do to your organization, I, I'm a big believer in it. I am actually in my notebook here, if you're watching on YouTube that I hold up, this book typically goes everywhere with me. And, uh, at the, and it's a great, again, I don't get a kickback on this. I wish I did because I did mention it a couple times every episode. Um, it's called um, The Full Focus Planner, and it is the best planner I've ever come across. Um, and it's bro- broken up into quarters, so it's only three months. And then I actually have it written down today, March 1st, order new planner, because I want to make sure April 1st I have a new one. Um, but I have written in here about leaning out my life, right? And mm. I think it's uh, just identifying in my life where the waste is and how I can be more efficient and how I can, like I'm in my house, I'm in my dining room right now and I'm looking around going, man, this place needs to be leaned out. It just, it does everything, right? And if you have that lean, and and I say this because I was just looking on uh, Amazon to make sure I got the book correct. There's a great book and and I use that word purposefully. 
great. It's called Two Second Lean, How to Grow People and Build a, build a Lean Culture. Um, and it is written by a gentleman that runs a widget factory up in Bellingham, Washington. And how he leaned out his, and it's, it is a book literally that you could read in two hours or three hours. And you will walk away from it very impacted. Not just business, not just team, but personally like your life. Um, you, you are either in your uh, upstairs or you are in your basement. I think you might be upstairs because it looks like those stairs may be going down behind you. Yeah. Your, your upstairs, attic, bedroom, whatever it is, looks very leaned out. If you were to see my dining room, <laughs> you would be like, man, George has to get his stuff together. But um, there is something about leaning out your life, but there's this mindset about Finding waste in your life, finding waste on your teams, finding waste within your process, and getting rid of it and streamlining things to be more efficient. And I say that in thinking about this book, Two Second Lean. And I'm gonna, I'm actually write, I'm gonna write it down after we're done here to make sure to read it again uh, because it's impactful. But essentially, this CEO of this company, this owner, told everybody they had a, a team-wide stand-up every morning company-wide, not team-wide, company-wide stand-up every morning when he started leaning out his company. And he essentially said this, everybody's got to come here with something every day to make us two seconds faster. Huh. Like, like the stapler shouldn't be over there. The stapler should be on this table. We need tables with wheels so we can move them around. Like even simple things like that. And they didn't implement everything, but they implemented a lot because two seconds faster by 20, 30 employees, you know, over six months, now you've leaned things out. And, I, yeah. and I, that just hits me with software. How much waste we have as teams with process that we don't need where we're waiting. And I'm, I, and you, I'm interested in your perspective, I guess, on that with the teams you work with, the places you consult, the companies that you notice or observe. Um, on how much waste there actually is in process and people and, mm -hmm. and infrastructure with with software and teams in in this space. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's yeah, there's a ton of it. Um, so uh, we'll use the term technical debt. Sure. And so, Perfect. Yeah, that I, that that means all the short-sighted decisions that you probably made on purpose at one point, but now they're still out there, right? So. When you want to get some done, you take shortcuts, you know, you hard code things that you should have wrote calls for, or, you know, you, you take a shortcut to get the thing done faster. But later, as this stuff builds up, this technical debt just kind of eats away at your capacity because it's the stuff that you're, you have to do your support on. Um, it, you know, teams will perpetually patch something rather than go figure out why it breaks in the first place and mm -hmm. fix that. So we teach teams, hey, pay attention to that. Put that in the backlog and let's, let's work that in with our other priorities so that we actually start paying down that debt at some point. And that's the equivalent of finding waste in the process. And I love the idea of putting it down even smaller. I know there's a little tiny book on that shelf there and I, I wouldn't find it if I tried, but it's about lean, but it's written, the guy writes it uh, about how to apply it to your life. Yeah. And it's got a little bit of a, uh, a 
maybe an Eastern philosophy vibe to it. And mm-hmm. I kind of like that as well. But yeah, this, I mean, you think about minimalism is a, is a yes. thing now. It is. People are, it's come back actually. It was in several times throughout history. Well, it's probably because at those points we built up a whole bunch of stuff and then we said, all right, now it's time to get rid of everything. Let's go to minimalism. If you could walk the house, yeah, you'd see, we try to keep it pretty minimalist. Um, I owe a lot of credit to my wife because she helps keep things neat and tidy. But my approach is get rid of things. Don't have them in the first place and you don't have to tidy them up. And so I'm actually thinking later today, I'm going to go through my closet, take everything out and only put back the things that I really want to have in there as a way to get rid of some waste in my life. Um, so back to Agile, though, teams, right. teams have it all over the place and they can make little dents like you're suggesting in it as long as they just talk about it. You know, um, we, we you conduct a retrospective, right? If you're doing Scrum or even if you're not, retrospective is a, a meeting that you have as a team to come up with like, let's look at how we've been working. What's been working? What hasn't? Is there something we'd like to change and see if it makes it better? Now, Scrum teams are doing that maybe every two weeks, every three weeks. Wouldn't it be great if we could do it every day? Just a little tiny bit every yeah. day. Yeah. Could, and that's what that little book, I wandered off that topic, but that oh, little book love it. is all about that, how to make simple things. Because the one thing that he talks about, and, and uh, I have a, manage, or a change management colleague who she talks about this all the time too, change isn't good for your brain because it's scared. We talked about this earlier. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, if you introduce change in pieces, it's easier to sneak it in. That's why going right. going for a workout, right? People after the first of the year, New Year's resolution, I'm going to go to the gym. They last like a week or two weeks, maybe a month. Right. Instead, they just needed to start walking more every day. Right. And then as they were walking more, they would build up to a place that now I go to the gym and that doesn't feel so bad. You know, a guy on Joe Rogan's podcast, uh, probably a while ago because it was a YouTube video, but he was a trainer and he was talking about he would much rather have people get in and train at lower intensity, but every day than have them do like a heavy day and then rest for two days. Because he said, overall, when you add it up, do the math, the person who shows up every day just does more volume over the year. Yeah. So man, that's, you know, uh, man, you are hitting it, man. Cause that's a personal, we have hammered on that with this podcast. If you've listened to this podcast with any regularity, Jeremiah just hit it what a theme that we've probably had for the month of February. If you've listened to Jason Wells on our Wednesday podcast, I have a reoccurring guest, Jason Wells. We've talked a lot about the drip. And Jason says, if you have a drip, you could add 30,000 gallons, you know, to your Mm -hmm. water bill, whatever that is, with just a steady drip, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just a, you know, a hardcore or the faucet is on, right? And then you turn it off, turn it on, turn it off, right? It's that drip. You know, and it's the same thing we talk about with my children and basketball, right? Like, like we don't need to go out and work for five hours. I just need 30 minutes of intense focus and let's just be consistent with it. And it's mm-hmm. all those other things. You know, the comparison that we drew up actually, yes, uh, in our last podcast with Jason was Seattle just gets a slow, steady rain <laughs> and, and it's green. That's where I grew up. I grew up in Seattle and it just drips. And that place is as green as any place in the country. And I now mm-hmm. live in St. Louis where it rains actually as much as it rains in Seattle, but we just get it all at once. Like yeah. these, these Midwestern storms are intense and it's, yeah. not, it's not as green. It's not as lush. 
Um, Seattle is the evergreen state because it's always a drip, right? Yeah. And it's just how that's the that's that's the growth, right? That's exactly what you're talking about. And that I know that is a agile, you know, the you know principle and what you're talking about. But it really is that boy. That is a life principle, you know. It's it is. Exactly it is, and that's why we teach it. Like, hey, this, this is a mindset, man. You gotta you you, you gotta slip into this mind mindset because people just do it and then you don't have to think of process improvement continual improvement personal improvement doesn't have to be big bang projects it doesn't have to be go through a whole let's take a week and map the whole thing out and do do the whole shebang right we can just do little bits every day little bits every day right with your teams and just get them i like that with the whole uh lean kind of mindset let, let me um I'm going to pivot a little bit here uh, because something has come up with a client of ours and it, w it definitely was not a disagreement between me and anybody else. It was just a difference in perspective and how to really think about it. And this is very, uh, it's very agile um, and, and software development and all this, but I am interested in your perspective. Um, we've, we, uh, we all taught, if you're an agile and if you made it this far into it, this is definitely a different thing than personal development and the things we've talked about. So if you've made it this far, you're really into agile. So we know, all know about a product backlog. I guess my question is this, and it's a very elementary question. How big should that backlog get? And, and this is what I mean by that. I know that's a very general, basic elementary question. Should we capture everything in a backlog? If I come to you and I say, hey, Jeremiah, you know what this thing needs to do? That whenever somebody submits this form, we need to send somebody an email, right? And, and, and the reality is that might not get done for two years. Does that need to, like, do we need to document, capture, um, and catalog every idea and make sure that it is stored and accessible for the future? Well, I think if you value ideas, you should write them down, keep a notebook or something. But no, I don't think teams should be putting every idea into the backlog. I mean, product owners, they have to be discerning about what comes into their backlog. And Perfect. good product owners say no, you know? I mean, this, and this, yeah, like we talk about this in the frame of Agile, but this is true in life. Take it right back out to your life. You, there's a thousand things that you could do today. Right. Mm -hmm. And you could write them all down and then try to work from that list. But somehow we tend to like bubble up the stuff that's really important and good product owners will do this thing because you can take things into the backlog, but you have to be discerning about it. Why is that a good idea? What is the value we're going to get from it? If there's not business value behind it, or if it's, well, it's going to save us a minute a day, you know, like I had a, I had a, a, when I was a product owner, I had a, request i remember this and they were they were asking for a, kind of like what you said just a small little thing that would automate something and i said well how much is it how often does it happen well, maybe twice a month and when it happens how much time do you lose and they were like oh like 10 minutes so i'm like okay so you got 20 minutes a month <laughs> right you get 240 minutes a year Right. But I will tell you that the work is going to be at least 20 hours or possibly 40, 60, 80 hours, right? Depending mm -hmm. because it seems to you, but it's actually complex back here. So the, as soon as I put it in that context, they said, oh, yeah, forget it. Never mind. Yeah, right. it. You know, 
sometimes people just have to be asked the right questions mm. to get them to think about why is this thing valuable, you know, right. and, and you could do this through life. So I actually just the other day I did this because I, I watched some video that said that Warren Buffett told this to his pilot, Mike Flint to do the, whatever, but he said, Hey, write down your, you know, like your, all the things, your, your goals, what you want to do, get to like 20, 25 things, all the things you want to do. And then it, order them. I just, I skipped the ordering step because I just started crossing stuff off. Once I got 20, 25 things, I went, I can't do all these things. So now mm -hmm. let me start. I could, and I could cross a few easy ones off. And then and I had to think about others. And I go, what is this really? So a few of those I realized, well, that's really an outcome. If I do these other things, then I can do that thing later. So I can mm -hmm. cross those off and say, no, don't do that. And then once I got down to about 10, then I was able to start ranking them. And I'm actually still in that process of ranking. I haven't completed it yet. Mm. The paper's in my pocket and, and I wish it later, but mm. I will rank them. And then what I'll do is get the top probably three to five and say, all right, rip that paper in half, take those three to five with me, leave the other ones at home because until I can do those, all that other stuff is distraction. And I see this happen in organizations because priority shift because business things shift in the business faster than the teams can deliver. That's why everybody wants everybody to get efficient, right? They're like, well, we can't keep with all this demand. We, we've got to be more efficient so we can get these things done or so that we can do more things. It isn't about that though. Mm. As a business, unless you're really pumping out widgets and you have the sales demand for the widgets, otherwise you have to be discerning about what you do because every investment of time and resources is capital being invested. And, you want to get the best return on your investment. Right. So you well, that's a great point. And that, that, that would be the theme, right? That would be the title of this. I really liked what you said. I'm going to try to make sure I say it exactly how you said it. Business will shift faster than the development team can produce what's in the backlog. That's not at all what you uh, exactly said. But that you, you said business will change quicker than we can give you give you the results on what we're currently working on. Right. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's actually a great point and how you phrased it. Um, I'm going to go back and make sure I write down exactly how you phrased it. Cause that was perfect. Good. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think that's, and I've, I've my whole career, I've seen it happen. And now that I've been, you know, uh, 14 years in, in the corporate world, I go, okay, so that's ever changed for 14 years. I've watched this over and over and over. Then it's a human thing. It's us. We do it. It's not a business thing. It's a human thing to try to just do too much mm. and not really think about why do we do these things? How can we be more intentional in choosing the things we do? Because if we do the right things, everything else should fall into place for us. Mm. And organizations have it bad because in a big company or even a small to mid-sized company, as long as there's a request system, right? Something that somebody can fill out a ticket and send it in to some black hole backlog somewhere, then all these projects and all this work just gets shuffled around to these teams. Right. And the midpoint of the work, which is, hey guys, we have something we'd like to accomplish and we'd like you all to help us. So let's work on this one or two or your five things but not 15, 20. I'm working with a large uh, portfolio planning process right now, and they, you know, 300 things across this big organization that they are putting in there as, as a roadmap. Mm. 
seems like a lot of things, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. How many, how many, uh, <laughs> how many things can you really think about? I, I don't, I don't think you should even let it in the back. Is that, 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 that is a hard conversation. And I, yeah. I appreciate your response to that question. I really do. Uh, because it is a very basic elementary question, but it is, there's a lot of depth to that. There's a lot of things to consider and analyze and figure out how to communicate. So when you do that, though, you're essentially telling these business people, like there's a way to communicate that to the business people. Yes. I, and this is the conversation we had. Hey, you know what? You being able to email somebody after that submit button's clicked or when something's been notified that somebody gets an email, I think that's a really good idea. We need to make sure we capture that. But what I hear you saying is we need to capture it. It's not going to end up in my backlog. You've said a few things that have really caught, caught me and caught my attention. One, it, you, the one, when you brought that up and you put yourself in the perspective of the, the product owner, you sat there and said, you didn't say it exactly like this, but this is how I took it. It's not going to end up in my backlog, right? <laughs> it's essentially what you said. And that, you, there's a few words in there that caught me. The product owner should consider that backlog mine. Yeah. Right. And how you like protect that. Yeah. Right. And how you use that word impacted me because we do um, here in St. Louis, we do a fair amount of product owner training and workshops. In fact, my next big engagement is actually putting on a two day workshop in Illinois on product ownership. And I really, but I really like that phrase that you, I mean, you know, because I've always had this mindset of ours, like, Hey, this is our, this is our backlog. And let's all communicate, collaborate, and be online and uh, up to speed with one another about what's in here. But I, I get that. And I, I still believe in that mindset mentality to be inclusive of everyone. But at some point, somebody does have to own that. Right. Yeah. Somebody still has to make the decisions on what's in there and what's not. But so, you know, that That's I know why you call them a product owner. That, that, yeah, right. Right. They own the, like, it's our product. Love it. Sure. Love it. Yeah, that's how I would, I would say that. Maybe the, ba- you know, the backlog's mine, but the product is ours. The team works on it. The business people sell it, whatever your product is, whether it. it's a website or whether it's a group of services, that's your product. But that, that product all exists to care and feed and protect that product backlog. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, everybody will put stuff in there. And they, because to them, it matters. I used to tell people that a lot. I said, hey, I get that it's important. It's important to you. Uh, me telling you it's not as important as these things doesn't mean it's not important gotcha. to you. But everybody has something that's important. So we have to figure out which things are important to most of us or which things are really, really important. I love it. I, I, now, yeah, I, I'm a coach and I love basketball and it is my passion in my life and working with teams and strategies and leadership and personal, like all that. I love it. But what we're talking about right now, I really geek out on because it is uh, what you're talking about is how we communicate, motivate, uh, keep people on board, right? If I come to you and say, hey, we need to email somebody, like you still need me. Mm-hmm. You're like, you need me. You, I'm on your team. But if you communicate that poorly, you could lose me and, there, and you could make me feel not important or my idea isn't of value and I'm dumb for even bringing it up. You know, all that sort of stuff that plays yeah. into this dynamic. And I see it at the enterprise level. And I have these conversations a lot, actually, because I geek out on this. And so I'm really interested in your perspective on how you don't lose me. 
Like, yeah, it's your, it's your backlog. George, that's not important. It's not going to be in my backlog. How do you communicate that and still keep somebody feeling valued, important, and a part of the team, and you don't lose them, and you want to make sure it's safe for them to continue to come up with ideas and be included and heard, right? Mm -hmm. I think all that stuff's really important, but I'm interested in your perspective on, on how, to, how to keep people still kind of on tilt with that stuff. Yeah, that's a really, yeah, that's a powerful question. I, I love, uh, see, this is what it, I geek out on, man. I love it, man. And I can see. Because it's so I hard. Think, I, it is hard, but I see you kind of geeking out on it too. I think you're into it. Oh, I'm totally into it. I'm totally into it because, I, like, you know, I tell, like, my kids are like, hey, dad, what do you do? I'm like, well, I help grownups work together better, you know? And they're like, okay, yeah, we get that. I said, I'm kind of like a teacher. But half of the teaching is the learning because, I have to learn these things for myself. I'm, I'm a little flippant sometimes in my, and you know, I don't, I say things that I, there's nothing wrong with what I just said, but to someone else, the way they hear it, wherever they're coming from, whatever their, their perspective is. So you do have to be conscious of that. When I'm trying to tell somebody no, or teach someone to how to say no to a backlog, inclusion mm -hmm. is a good way to say no, because Oh, is a rejection. It's a push away. Like, hey, no, that thing out of here. I'm not putting your email thing in my backlog. Come on. But <laughs> love it. That's not gonna feel good, right? But right. I gotta. So I, I include like, hey, first of all, let me engage with you about why. Why do you think that it? It sounds like it's a good idea. So why is that important? But other things like that. What are you really trying to get to? Maybe that's just step one in some other thing that you haven't totally fleshed out but if we take some time to talk about it we come to that hey the end state that you're trying to get to that's a really bigger idea that we can put in the back because that's a real feature that other people would value as well mm. and so that's one way to do it another way to do it is hey i have all these in my backlog let me show you here's all the things where do you think that one should go and, and include them in, in my role as the product owner and say, mm -hmm. hey, okay, maybe you'll see something I don't. Tell me why. You have to be careful with that one because what I do see is I see negotiations that occur because the customer thinks well, it's just a small thing. Just, you know, the stakeholder says that can't be very big. Let's just put it, you know, just get it done. And then mm. you feel the pressure because nah, you're kind of right. Maybe it is just a little bit. but I still have to point to I know it's small and we could do it but that takes out of the other things that we have to work on and it's still if there's something that is ultimately more valuable it's just about value that's all if it's more valuable right. I have to say yes to yeah. the value I love and, this I'm, I so I, the coach and me and I say this to some of my guests the coach and me uh, allows me three 30 second timeouts so I, I'm going to call my first one with you right there so I, I love this discussion. I can't thank you enough for this. And I, I love your perspective and I love your passion and interest in this because I, I think it's definitely online with me. So what is valuable to you is totally different than what's valuable to me. I just had lunch with a guy uh, with two, two of the best people I know, two, two of the best people I've ever met. And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to call them friends. They're both in uh, the IT space. Um, one is very technical, can write code, can architect the code and can do all this, right? The other mm -hmm. one is in marketing and is, it does a great job marketing and selling, <laughs> right? Both in the IT space. 
what the IT guy wants, what the IT guy or the architect may think of is of value is completely different than what my man that's a marketing guy and what he wants built. So how do you as a product owner and somebody that is planning and organizing this work and is responsible for the output and responsible for feeding the team, how do you sit back and really determine what is a value? Is it the person that is yelling the loudest, screaming the loudest, or do you actually have to kind of get in the weeds and really sit there and say, okay, I see this perspective from the IT, you know what, and it is more valuable than what the marketing guy wants. And, you know, how do you, how do you make those determinations between, you know, all, all these different people that really do, like, I could totally understand why the marketing guy finds value in that. I get mm-hmm. it. I get it. But how do you, how do you make that decision? Well, I, data is the first thing that comes to mind <laughs> for me, like, cause that's, you know, that's my background, but right. I, show me the money, right? Hey, marketing guy, you're in marketing. You're about how we get money coming in. So how, if we do this thing, will we get more money coming in? Mm-hmm. Right? Like how, what, how do you know that? What do you got? What research have you done? How much have you put into your idea before you want me to take it and own it? Right? Like, cause I don't want to own a half baked idea. I want you to fully bake it and then tell me it's got some merit. Right? So that's what I have to do. I have to ask those questions. IT guy, same thing. Like, you want to do this. Why do you want to do that? What is it? Will it make it easier for you? Will it save us from having to spend a bunch of hours doing something else later? Are, are we avoiding technical debt? Mm-hmm. I have to ask a ton of questions and I have, in order to try to get to, usually try to get to something objective or tangible or that we can translate into value. That doesn't always mean dollars and cents. Yeah, so that was my next question. That's a great right. Yeah, it, it doesn't always mean dollars and cents. So you do have to have some other criteria. Do we think it, you know, marketing guy, do we think it would improve the, uh, you know, our just our brand or our customer goodwill? Do you, does it, mm-hmm. is it a feels like, but it, it's a warm fuzzy and we, and we really have thought this through and we think it will help. Or IT guy, is this something that will improve the availability of it? Well, you know. Will we get better uptime or will we have less downtime to patch or fix or something? You know, what are we going to get that maybe we can't give total dollars and cents, but we have other metrics, yeah. other things that we know are important. And that gets us into the whole goals and planning. And how many times have you seen organizations? You go, well, where are the goals? They go, oh, well, they're over here. These are the goals. We came up with them at the beginning of the year and then we keep them in this drawer until the end of the year. And then we take them out and we see if we did good, but we didn't because we did all this other stuff in between. Right. And all the, all the employees are always going, Hey, so uh, I have these goals over here and then I have all this work that you want me to do over here. And they don't seem the same thing. So now I don't, I feel conflicted. What should I do? Right. That, that's work that at a certain point product owner can't do by themselves, but they can ask the questions, which is how does this work align to whatever our goals or objectives or our strategies are at a higher level for the organization? Mm. If we can't find and connect the dots, we should really question Mm. either the work or the goals. I'm not saying which one's wrong or right. I'm just saying they're not in sync. So that's a, that's a point of conversation. So so how, how, how important, man, and and you're helping me really think through my product ownership workshop. (laughs) I'm like, no, it isn't. I'm doing a 
boot camp uh myself product owner boot camp here coming up in a few weeks so oh perfect yeah. yeah, it's a good conversation. So, yeah, I, and I love it. Um, you know, and, and there are parallels to life and all that. And then we're not going to go that deep into all the parallels with this. But uh, but um, it's interesting because what I, what you have me thinking about is those conversations. So I, I, there's a gentleman that's going to be on our podcast here in the next month or so that I have met because of the pod, uh, that I have met on LinkedIn because of the podcast much much the exact same way that I've met Jeremiah is just <laughs> a podcast and being on LinkedIn and just trying to meet as many great people as I can. And this gentleman does some uh, coaching here in St. Louis, a business level, high level business executive coaching with teams at some of the better companies in St. Louis. And I would say he's become a good friend and somebody that I've really enjoyed talking with in a short amount of time. And he says this, and I, I think, and what I hear, everything I hear you saying, Jeremiah, I think this is, I think you'll agree with it. And, and, and I think this is what we're both thinking and, and saying. He says he gets hired to come in and fix problems. And these executives, and they'll have all these meetings about, hey, IT, business, marketing, sale, whatever it is, right? Uh, software, we need to fix that. What, like, that's what they, he gets brought in to fix. Mm-hmm. And what he always ends up saying to the CEOs and the C-suite people, he was like, yes, I understand that you think this pen is your problem. <laughs> but, that, but the problem is, essentially, this is what he says, the problem is your people. Mm-hmm. The problem is somewhere along the line, it's a people problem. Yes, you <laughs> all think it is the pen or the mouse, right? Or whatever it is, a process of using Jira or whatever it is, right? Right, right. It's not it. Right. And what I hear you saying, and this is what I, this is what I hear you saying, and you're just reaffirming some of my beliefs. Yes. We're going to do these workshops and these boot camps, and we're going to talk about product ownership. And at some point the marketing guy is going to say, Hey, wait a minute. That is important. And you just don't think it's that important. And you're going to make a decision. No, we're going with the IT's guy about sending email notifications off. And the marketing Mm -hmm. guy is going to say, and then you're going to be left with damage control. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be left with how to deal with people and how mm-hmm. to conflict resolve and how to keep me on the team and how to keep me motivated. And I just say all that one, because I, I, I really geek out on that because I love trying to solve that problem of people. But, <laughs> but on the flip side, on the flip side, you know, I think there's, um, you know, trying to solve that, that person problem while always trying to keep them a part of the team. But what you have me thinking about is product vision, mm-hmm. right? That's the first thing I started thinking about was you, you had this, you, I think what I heard you say, and it could be wrong, is product goals, team goals, team vision, but I really look at it as, hey, we're building this product. Mm-hmm. Here's the vision for the product. And everybody, everything we do has to be aligned with that vision. Mm-hmm. So marketing guy, yes, that is important. We're going with email notification first from the IT guy because it aligns more right now with our vision. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it's not important. We're, I just, my, my job is to prioritize on based on value and I just see this as being more valuable. So I, I know that's kind of a, a commentary about what we're talking about, but I'm interested in product vision. And when you go and kind of work with these teams or when you do your boot camps and when you talk to companies about product ownership, man, that vision and kind of setting the course and saying the ship's going this way 
and getting alignment of the team, everybody on the team, regardless of silos and the stakeholders, mm-hmm. man, how much, I mean, yes, I know you're going to say it's important, but I mean, how do you navigate those waters and, and how important is that to you? Or am I just kind of having well, a commentary on my beliefs? No, I'm, well, I'm totally biased because having been a product owner for so long and be somebody who really values vision and really, really just values the like, yeah, like how do you paint a picture of the future and then show it to people and say, mm. like my picture, you know, and, and love it. If you do it, and that's why I think if you think the product owner is so important, that's why I think filling the role with the right person, a person who can have vision is so important because they have to be the, the person that can rally everybody and say, this is what it's going to do. This is what it's going to be. Um, and, and then get the people moving towards it and then protect it. We're not going to do that right now because this is what we're doing. Mm. It, and it kind of depends on the health of the organization too, right? Because some organizations protect that, that you'll have, product owner by proxy right you'll have this he's the product owner which really just means yeah we make him shuffle the backlog but all priority decisions help and happen somewhere else right mm-hmm. you will in highly political or egocentric organizations i think you see a lot of that where <coughs> relationships get the job done organizations that divide themselves up is another way you know in what marketing it it's funny because i used to work with with a group that you talk and the it people would say well you know the business wants this okay so then you go well who's the business well you know them the operations and marketing and stuff so then you'd go and you'd talk to marketing and marketing like well yeah you know the business and who's who's the business operations and some everybody else was the business i was like hey aren't you all the business aren't we the business collectively and so what i'm saying is when organizations like divide themselves up into departments because that type of hierarchical the org chart thing seems to make sense to us especially our egos and look at me i'm up here and you're down here but it doesn't create value and that's when see when agile scales organizations get reorganized so that they can have whole value streams end to end from idea to delivery all organized in a way that it doesn't have to cross departmental barriers and go through somebody else's process because that's where a lot of priority conflict comes from my department has these goals and your department has those goals what happens when we both need the same resources how do we right. how do we settle that you know mm. so man it's you know you can't pull just one thread because it's tied to all that but you have to have the goals you have to have the organization you have to have the mindset within the teams and then yeah you got to have process to stitch that all together but yeah it's we're away from vision i guess but that's my vision for what an agile organization looks like and how you would actually get done love it I love your perspective with it. I'm going to put you on the spot here and um, I didn't prep you with this question. And um, you know, so if you just punt on it, that's fine. And it's, ah. I don't think it's a hard question. I'm interested in your perspective. Um, and it's a very basic question. I believe what, what, what is the difference between a project and a product? Like we, like I see these organizations use this 
Um, and I have my perspective on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've heard this question a number of times with some of the uh, workshops we've done and the, uh, you know, and some of these clients that we've had. Um, but I do, those, those two words get thrown all around a lot. And I think they mean different things to people. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what do those two words mean to you? So a project to me has a defined scope, a defined start and stop. And, you know, we can, we can say what we want the objectives of the project to be, and then we could go about the project. A product, product doesn't have a defined life. Products have life cycles. We know that like, mm -hmm. but products are also evolved in order to maintain parts of their levels. So products don't just have a defined scope and a start and stop. We're going to build a product and we're going to enhance the product. Maybe we'll change the product later. Maybe we'll spin it off into two other products. Increasingly now, because we've got so much technology all around, you know, products are easier probably to make than they used to be because a product could be in a PDF file that I wrote a ebook and then I put it out. Um, but a product could be a website. It could be an application. It could be an iPhone. It could be mm -hmm. a number of things. So that's how I look at it. Pro projects got to start and a stop. You know, you'll know when you're done. Now, <laughs> in reality, <laughs> do the organizations know when they're done? Right. Because a lot of times the project just, they keep adding stuff and adding stuff and adding stuff. And if you were building a product, you wouldn't do that because you would want to product to market, you know, lean startup, you know, that book, right? Yeah, I do. I do. Yep. Yeah. That's, Eric Ries. Yes. So the, the MVP concept, right? When he's talking about it in the book, he's talking about like the simplest, easiest way that we can get something in front of the customers so we can get some feedback and improve so that we can get closer to actually making real money. Like that's how he's talking about it. I hear MVP thrown around a lot as like, trying to just deliver something small for the sake of delivering something small. And that's not the same thing. The, the idea of producing something that a customer can actually do something with and provide feedback to you so you know what to do next, that's how you evolve a product. And so you wouldn't list out the, all that scope of the product, you would list out the minimum scope that you would need to get something produced. Mm. That's a great perspective, actually. And I know we've gone over with our time here. And if, if you have a hard <laughs> stop, just tell me to, to wrap it up. Um, so we, we, we had a client or, or we had a conversation. Let me say it that way. We had a conversation with somebody where here, here's, here's what has happened to us. As a consultant, anybody listening to this, as a consultant or even in, in, even in when you're just having communication and you're building relationships, whatever it is, in any, in sales, selling cars, selling shoes, whatever, you need to quickly learn the right words to use that resonate with your customer or client or the person you're trying to connect with and have a relationship with. You just need to. And you need to be very aware about word choice. And I think that is important to me. And the longer I'm in this business and the, uh, the more I work with clients, the more I'm aware of the words I use and the response I get. And this is what I mean. I have been with clients where I'm not allowed to use the word agile, right? They mm -hmm. do not want to hear that word thrown around their company. They definitely don't want to hear the word safe, mm -hmm. uh, safe in terms of uh, scaled agile framework. They don't want any of that. I was with someone recently where they did not, uh, the word 
uh, it's not that they didn't want to hear the word. You just had to be intelligent about how to use the word, the acronym of MVP, right? But you, and so that that's what you were just saying really got me thinking about it. And I know that's a sidebar, but you but when you roll in as a coach or uh, a consultant in kind of these roles, you need to know like, hey, if I use the word agile, how's that going to be received? Or if I use the word MVP in mm -hmm. some in my project planning. How's that going to be received? Because this is what I heard you just say. And I could be wrong, but this is how I took it. Eric Reese talks about an MVP being, hey, what can I get out the door as quickly as possible to receive feedback to make the product better? That's what I heard you say. If I'm using the word MVP when I'm with clients and they list out everything they want, <laughs> that they want included in our work, and we go through a rough process of estimating all that work. Mm -hmm. And let's say it's now 50, 50 story points or hours or however you want to phrase it over. Like we don't have time for all of this. So what is your MVP? Right. I see now you have me thinking two totally different things with that conversation. Mm -hmm. you, so that is when I think a client or a customer or somebody in business, if you're the IT department and the product owner and I'm the business guy and I come to you, Jeremiah, and you tell me, hey, George, this all is great. What's your MVP? What I'm hearing you say is you're not getting all this, George. So what do you, so what do you need? But the way you phrased Eric Reese's statement is completely different than the conversation you and I are having about what I've got to cut. Does that right. make sense? That's, yeah. that's what I heard you say, and I hope I'm articulating that well. But I heard you yeah. say two different things that really impacted me. Like, that's really impactful to me in, in, my, in my professional life and how I work with teams in the IT space. That, I think that's big time to have that distinction between how to use, that for, how to use the word MVP. I th uh, yeah, I, because I hear it tossed around a lot, and, I, and it always hits me because I'm thinking, like, no, the MVP really needs to be what can we do that, that will get us value? Like get, get it to the customer and get it back to us. There's value in that. There is not value in waiting to deliver because the scope's too big. Mm -hmm. And so they start to become the same thing when you frame it around value. But getting people to talk about why they want things is very, very hard. And getting them to give up things that they don't actually even have yet in their mind they do well I've made a list these are my things you're asking me to give up my things like I'm asking you to like use an eraser it's fine you know, take a few <laughs> off the list. that's all that's great <laughs> but you know what what getting them to really talk about why they want it though opens that up and and helps you to scope it differently helps you to think about uh, I you know, I took a team, I was, took a team through a process. They were building a small application to do some fraud analysis, mostly just built off of some data that was available in their data warehouse and then using a, some visualization on the front end, right? Just dashboard stuff, Tableau. So they, but the people that wanted it didn't really know, they knew a lot of things that they wanted it to do do but really knew if we could do it based mm -hmm. on what we had available so i just got them into weekly cycles of like okay let's first we'll just build this piece of it and then we'll put it in 
with those users. They would meet and they would say, yeah, we like this, but we wish to do this and this and this. So the guys would go, the data guy and the application guy, and they would go and they would do that for a week and they would come back and they'd say, oh yeah, well, we like that now. Could you put a button here? And they, they literally built the built the thing together was the business people and the development team just having conversations back and forth in these cycles. And they evolved it to a point where they were like, yeah, we use that and we already have found this many instances of what we suspected. So we think we're going to be able to save, and this was a big number, I wouldn't say the number, but it was in, you know, thousands of mm -hmm. dollars that were going out the door fraudulently that they thought they would be able to, mm. to retain now. And it was, a, you know, it was just a, it was a great story of like, look what happens when you actually honor that principle of business people and developers working together on a regular basis. Mm. Like, I, I remember seeing a slide, I think at a Gartner or something, but they showed it and they said, this is an actual company. It was just a bunch of people all sitting in at tables with their laptops and things. But then they had the overlay that said, this is a developer. This is a marketing guy. This is a developer it's a you know operations guy. it was just business and it they were sitting at the same tables sprinkled in together there was no distinction there was no operation they were one business so mm. i uh, i think that's why you got to have those conversations and really be engaged and same with clients you know what is it that they really want they want you to solve problems because they want their problems to go away so they can get back to making money. But what, what if the problems can't go away, right? Mm -hmm. Should we just focus on problems? We focus on solutions. And if we work with them, if we have conversations about why they really want things, what they're really trying to achieve, how that aligns to everything else that's going on, then we can help get them closer to a solution that's, gonna actually matter you know uh right. and that that's just goodness i'll you, tell you, you what know, i can have great customer service and a shitty product and you know it's not gonna matter right uh so i'm gonna say this i we've we've gone probably an hour and 45 or hour and 40 which is which is awesome <laughs> and i will say this i probably have five to six more questions on top of my head that I know we could go easily go another hour. Um, and I, and I say that, uh, enduringly, like I really appreciate your time and, um, uh, and I want to keep these questions in my head and I want to listen to this podcast again, uh, because I found, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, and I want to, uh, I, I want to make sure you come back on. So I'm going to save these questions cause I, I want to, I've really enjoyed this and I do want to have you back on. And now people that are listening, um, a little bit different spin on what, Listen, I, I am a, I'm a team first guy. My passions lie with teams and my passions lie with um, executing and delivering um, value to, to someone. That, that, those are my passions and how to do that. Now, I happen to live in a world of software where we're delivering products and software solutions. But in a former life, I delivered basketball and athletic and academic solutions, right? And it's all the same to me. And uh, you really, and now I'm, I'm also doing a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of team coaching. I think we said this earlier. I know we said this earlier. It's, a, it's really a lot of therapy to a certain extent, yeah. you know? So there's a lot that goes on with this, but it really starts with the team. And, uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I really think there was a great connection between us because I believe that's your foundation as well. Teams, communication, yeah 
outcomes and really all this personal development stuff that I kind of regurgitate on the podcast and that I consume myself boils down to one thing, I think, and it boils down to execution. That's the word, being able to execute and um, what, whatever that looks like, right? Mm-hmm. It's what, you know, and I just happen to think it start, I think it starts with team collaboration, communication and togetherness and vision and everything that you've, you've uh, essentially said today. Um, so I'm going to reserve my questions to have you back on because I want to, there's more I want to get into actually with you. I think I, I'm really drawn to your passion for this and your, and, and your calmness and intelligence and your, and your, your patience, your, your patience with word choice, right? I, I think there's a deliberateness to how you, how you think about things that I really admire that, that I'm going to take away myself personally. Um, and and well, I value our, accuracy to, to pretty ah, degree, you I know. value accuracy. Perfect. Um, let's do this though, before we wrap up I, one last question, and then I want to make sure everybody knows how to track you down. Um, this is a question I typically have for our guests. And, and I do kind of like this question because it makes me think about my, my answer. Um, we met on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and, um, and in my prep for having you on, I read your LinkedIn bio and did whatever I could. And I think we talked about the big bass, uh, sing, uh, the singing that you do on the <laughs> side. Right. <laughs> right? Uh, I'm sure you have a gig this weekend in, in Iowa. Um, I, but I've read your LinkedIn bio. I can't say for certain exactly what it says now. Um, but what does your LinkedIn bio say? five years from now? Where, what, where, where, where are you headed? What do you want that, that professional LinkedIn bio to say in five years? Yeah, so it, it will say professional speaker. Uh, it will say coach and consultant as well. I, I really just like helping people figure this stuff out. And I'm a lot like your, your friend that you mentioned, like, thir- well, let's see, 10 years, 10 years of IT has taught me that they're all people problems. So uh, it, yep. it really comes down to that. And, and so I like helping people figure it out. I like the process of it, but I like the, the people piece of it because I think collaboration's where it's at. That's, that's how you get really cool things. There are examples of, this, of the lone wolf, I mean, especially in the art world and things like that, but really cool things for the most part are teams of people working on them to build the really great things took teams to build. And so I think human collaboration is where it's at. And uh, I would like to take that message out uh, in whatever form I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll tag onto that because I've been thinking about this a lot about as I go forward as a speaker, what is part of that message? And I will say this, teach some of this stuff to your kids, right? Like, like kids are where it's at for the future because you know they got more time than we do so and you and i are pretty programmed at this point but Mm -hmm. kids still have a chance to tweak their programming and so teach i i teach i try to teach some of these things especially they're teaching growth mindset in schools now which is good but Mm -hmm. try to get my kids thinking with an agile mindset with the lean mindset with uh, yeah But you got me, you have me thinking, I'm going to throw this in as kind of a parting shot as well. It's funny, the things that we demand of our kids and how we want them to communicate and collaborate and problem solve and goal set and have a growth mindset and that they can do anything in life and that there's nothing that we don't let, like, I do not let my children say, I can't. I do not let my kids say that ever, Mm -hmm. ever. And if I ever hear it, they hear it from me. 
right? <laughs> There's nothing we can't do. There's nothing I want my kids not believing they can't accomplish. But yep. now as adults, we have all those limitations on us. Yeah. We feel we can't do things. We feel we're not valued enough. We feel we're not smart enough or resourceful enough or intelligent enough. And we have, or that we can't grow. And, you know, um, you know, and I think that to your, to your exact point of building up our children, and I draw a lot of parallels in this podcast to, to my children and how I want them mm-hmm. to think. Why, why, why am I so demanding of my 10-year-old, <laughs> but yet I have the same limitations as myself as a 45-year-old? right? In terms of getting outside of my comfort zone, doing things I'm uncomfortable doing, having conversations I'm not, you know, whatever it is, pushing myself. You know, right now, me and my children are on a big kick. And it is a, um, it is a David Goggins theory that I subscribe to now about, we all have a governor on our minds. And the Mm. governor on a car can be set to 50. And when the car hits 50, it stops or it stops at 50 and continues to go 50 that Mm -hmm. I've told my children, we all have governors on our mind. And Mm -hmm. the idea is when you hit that switch where you're supposed to stop that we work ourselves to continue to go. Now I know that's nothing we've been talking about, but it is personal growth and all that. But um, I'm using the word governor now with my children every day. And when I see them hit, hit that point, I'm like, push through your governor. That's your governor. That's your governor. That's your governor. And we've got to get through it. So anyway, total side note, but I really appreciate your mindset um, about about our children. I really, really appreciate that. So listen, how can people track you down and get in touch with you um, uh, online or however else? Yeah, LinkedIn is LinkedIn's really the easiest way. And I tend to respond pretty quick, probably because I have the notifications turned on. Um, I do have a website, jeremiahopkins.com, but it's mostly a, was used as a blog in the past, and, um, but there's contact information on there as well, but I, I prefer LinkedIn. And, Perfect. Uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, people that are listening that have made it this far, one, I appreciate you listening to an hour and 45 minutes of us talk about software. Really not about, I hope we didn't talk about software development. I really hope that we talked about, talked about everything. We talked about everything. Yeah, let's put it that way. We did. We talked about everything. And um, I, in the show notes, I will have all of Jeremiah's information on how you can reach him and track him down. And I'd encourage you to do so. The one thing, let me just say it this way: get out of your cubicle. Now, what you, that's got to fit. You got to figure out what that means to you. This is what it means to me. Get out, get and push myself. My governor set to 40. I need to set that sucker to 50. And that means me reaching out to people and, and connecting with people and having conversations with people and asking questions of people and learning from people and then implementing the things that uh, intersect my life and implementing that into my life to be better. Like that's me resetting my governor switch. If I do that every day, a year from now, when it's, um, when it's March 1st, 2020, my governor switch will be set to 80, right? And it'll mm. be because of me reaching out to people like Jeremiah or, you know, all these other people that we've had on as guests. And it's up, you either do it or you don't, right? You're either going to be, your, your governor is going to be set to 40 next year at March or it's not, right? So I'd encourage us to all get out of our comfort zone, much like we would encourage our own children to do that. Hey, Jeremiah, I can't thank you enough for this. Um, and yeah, my only ask thank of you, you. I, two asks I have. If you ever find your way to St. Louis, you let me take you out for a drink um, and take you to some good, you know, Italian food up on the hill and, and that you um, come back, you come back on the show if, uh, if, if our schedules can coordinate it. Yeah, I would love to. This has been a, it's been a great time. So I really appreciate the opportunity. 
Yeah, thank you again. And everybody, again, get out of your cubicle and start connecting and collaborating with everybody around you. Take care. Have a great yeah. rest of the week. Be a free range human. <laughs> Perfect. Take care. Take care. Thanks, George. Thank you.